0: This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 103. Hi, veterinary friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. I am Dr. Julie Capel. And I just want to say a few words before we get started into my interviews for the podcast this week. I wanted to let you know that I am offering two classes, six-week classes starting in January. One is to stop overeating. So if you are a stress eater or a overeater like I am, even a binge eater, this class is for you. We will spend six weeks figuring out why we overeat, what we overeat, how to eat better, how to plan our meals better, and how to lose some weight. And we all need the that after 2020 and all of the stress eating that we've been doing. The other six week class is on getting unstuck. That is a, one of the most common things that I hear from veterinarians is that they feel stuck in their life, stuck in their job, overwhelmed with their work-life balance. And that class will be six weeks talking about how to coach yourself, how to set boundaries and how to become basically unstuck, which is something that we all need. So I welcome you to sign up. If you go to the coaching tab on my website, you will find those classes. You can sign up for them and we will be starting the third week. I think it's the third week into January. You will see those dates on my website. If you have more questions, you can email me at jacappeldbm at gmail.com and I would be happy to answer those questions for you. Also, if you want to do individual coaching, I have some openings for the new year. I'd love to have you as one of my coaching clients. You can sign up on my website for that as well. And coaching is something that if you haven't tried it before I think you will really find it helpful it has done amazing things for my life and I know that it can do the same for you so this week on the podcast I have a couple of very special guests and I will get started with them in just a few minutes I'm wishing you all a beautiful 2021 and I hope you join me in coaching next year So here is the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today on the podcast, I have two special guests and I'm very excited. They recorded with me on the Lost Podcast, I'm calling it now, a week or so ago and uh, with some of the other veterinarians that I interviewed. So here we are to do it again, but I'm super excited because I have them alone now and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun and you're gonna learn a lot from these people. I have Dr. James Averill, who is a DVM and a PhD, and is now the interim director of the Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory at Michigan State University. And I have Michael Tomy, who is a DVM and a hospital owner who does large animal medicine and has been doing it for quite a few years. Uh, We went to school together many years ago. And um, so I welcome you both to the podcast. Thank you so much for being
1: here. Thanks for having us. Thanks
0: guys. So I think I'm going to call on you first, James. Um, can you give me a little bit of a bio of yourself and what you're doing now and where you came from and in the veterinary world?
1: All right. Well, I'm one of those uh, veterinarians that's not really done a whole lot of private practice. Cause I'm a, a veterinarian that's allergic to cats, dogs, horses, and cows. Oh wow. <laughs> I knew that going into vet school and still went to vet school, but it just demonstrates uh, you can, the veterinary profession, there are endless opportunities. But uh, I graduated from Michigan State University and out of vet school went to work for uh, USDA Veterinary Services doing bovine tuberculosis testing and did a little bit of small animal emergency medicine, moonlighting on the side for about a year before I decided I was going back to school uh, to do a PhD and uh, returned back to Michigan State and did a PhD with a focus on public health and uh, epidemiology. And so uh, that led me to some careers, uh, predominantly in government, now back in academia, where I was the Deputy Pandemic Influenza Coordinator for the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services uh, in the early 2000s, when. Avian influenza was thought to be the next uh, pandemic influenza from Southeast Asia. And so did a lot of work to help raise awareness around uh, influenza and pandemic preparedness, which is state of Michigan's now using some of the very material that I worked on back in
0: wow. 2006,
1: 2008.
0: Wow, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so, um, and then uh, I went to work for the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development and more or less spent the last 11 years there, first to- Oversee the bovine tuberculosis program, then became the animal industry division director. And then they added on the title of state veterinarian. And I did that for about five years in combo. And then in 2018, I became the deputy director for the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, just broadening my exposure in food and agriculture and policy development and uh, and left there this spring uh, and started consulting uh, when uh, Dean... Pushner reached out to me and asked if I could be the interim director, and so that's what got me here at the veterinary Diagnostic Lab at Michigan State University.
0: Now is that something that you think you'll stay? like will you become the director or I, they well, you're calling you interim? What does that
1: mean? So interim is the the dean just appointed me, but in academia there there's a they have to go through a hiring process oh, okay. and so. The laboratory or the college is going through that right now. I put my name in the hat and we'll just kind of wait and see what comes of that. Hopefully, I am the successful candidate, but time will tell. We have to go through the process.
0: And when will that be? When will we find that out?
1: Uh, I wish it was sooner rather than later, but um, <laughs> it's probably going to be February or March before that's all solidified, I think, with the holidays that slows things down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's a, that is a long career path. We have to talk about that again. So, Mike, why don't you give a introduction of what you're doing and where you've been, and give us give us an idea of uh, what your career path has been.
2: All right. Well, it's hard to believe, but this June I'll have been out 32 years. Uh, took a job for six years in, in South Central Pennsylvania right after graduation, doing total mixed practice, predominantly dairy, bought a practice in Carson City, Michigan in 1995, a dairy small animal practice. We added equine services. Uh, around 2004, we actually quit doing small animals uh, because it got too difficult to um, recruit mixed practice associates. Um, so focused on mostly what i did and so it's been dairy and horses for a number of years now although i uh, um, am getting ready to discontinue working on horses at the end of the year i I feel really fortunate um the dairy industry has been through about five or six years of instability and for whatever reason i found myself in a place with a small number of stable forward-looking dairies and so i've always been busy and uh Oh, I guess the main other thing that's been going on uh, two and a half years ago, I got together with two neighboring practices. I realize this has gone on in small animals for years, but us large animal veterinarians are kind of independent. We don't want our neighbors to meet our clients and all that stuff. But three practices got together and formed an emergency rotation, which Mm -hmm. uh, was life-changing for me. Uh, It's been a lot of years being on 24-7. And um, so... I'm still excited heading out my truck every morning. Still in private clinical practice. um, Working on nice farms, uh, but nice farms have problems too. And there's always a spot for the veterinarian to be involved there.
0: Right. And you're also um, serving on the board of the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association as well, right? You're the past president right now. So you're on the executive board.
2: I'm on the executive committee for... Two and a half more weeks, but I've been. Oh, on
0: the, we're almost done.
2: <laughs> I've been on the board for eleven years, and yeah. was involved in committee work before then, and you know that was kind of interesting too. I I only went on the board because the group I was in, Michigan Equine Practitioners, did not have a board representative, and I thought that's terrible. I'll do it. Didn't know what I was doing, uh, <laughs> but the the friendships I and, and and colleagues I met over the years has just opened my world up. And, you know, that's kind of interesting, too, because I, I went on thinking, well, I'm going to be the voice for the large animal veterinarian. Well, guess what, we all pretty much worry about the same things. It mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. That's the truth,
0: right? Whether you work in small animal like I do, or a large animal, or you're in more of a um, industrial c- capacity, you know, you're working more for the state and things like that, that James have done. We have similar concerns.
2: Well, we do uh, as business owners for us, those of us in private practice and just what's the hardest part of it, the people problems. And right. um, so gained a lot of insight that way. But in, in working on the ag-related problems and horse-related problems, I've interacted with James and his colleagues for years now, too. So we're all, we're all working on the same stuff. we got a lot more in common than we have different.
0: Well, and that's all, how we all know each other through working through the state of Michigan, right? Like I've, I met, I met you back in school, but we also reconnected on the board of the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association because I was on it um, when you came on and um, James is always there in different capacities, whether he was the state veterinarian or working for the state of Michigan or, or the university. Um, that's how we've all kept in touch. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, James, tell me um, what your journey's been like. I know you told us kind of the the progression. Um, what's been your thought processes and your experiences going through working for the state and now working for a university? Um, as far as um, your veterinary career, like let's say somebody out there is interested in getting out of clinical practice and doing something like you do. What's been your experience and? going through that, those decision-making processes through your career?
1: Well, I, I think I wouldn't change my career if I was asked to redo it over again, because I think, you know, I think the biggest message and what I talk to younger veterinarians about is uh, never, never burn any bridges and always leave the door open, you know, because you never know what that next opportunity is going to be. And and yes, sometimes you have to make a leap of faith, but, uh, you know, take that and, you know, good things come from that usually. So um, so for me, you know, I guess one of the biggest things for me is I, I'm a farm boy by upbringing. So food animal, food safety, um, you know, has been something of interest to me all my career. And I've been able to navigate and stay in that to some extent, um, but broaden my Exposure and awareness of, you know, other aspects of the veterinary profession, um, and so, so for me, I mean, it's it's I, I wouldn't change it at all in all honesty. And I, I think some people will say going into regulatory or government is is really nice from a standpoint. It's a forty-hour work week and uh, good benefits. And I think for the average veterinarian in government work, that is probably very true. I guess I am one who is a, I I call it, I call myself a workaholic. And so I I still don't know what a 40 hour work week is. And I think there's a lot of practitioners out there that don't know what a 40 hour work week, I think uh, the younger generation is doing a much better job at trying to have a more balanced work life balance. Uh, But I still just don't know what a, a 40 hour work week is. But I think what is really interesting in my career is the partnerships and the friendships that you, and the connections I've made throughout my career. You know, you did it at that one point in time in your career and you move on and you still come back to them because they're, 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 it's a small world. And we're all inter, interrelated and and interconnected in in so many ways. And so um, now that I'm back in academia, it allows me to be around some more scholarly work uh, that I I was missing Uh, so you're at the cutting edge of science uh, which is nice but I'm still working with all the same people I have for the vast majority of my career I'm back now well I've I've never stopped interacting with the state health department once I left there I mean I've always been there there's always the practitioners whether it's in government or now academia Um, so it it, you just build quite a, a great relationship with so many people and and you're, you can help one another. If you're, if you're nice to me, you'll be, I'll be nice to you, you know, and, and you're there to help one another throughout the process and throughout your career. So I, I've just enjoyed those friendships.
0: And the difference between what you do as, an, as a state veterinarian or working for the state or working for Michigan State, as opposed to what you would have done had you gone into practice... Um, what do you see as the main differences other than the hours and the benefits and that kind of thing? Is there, is there a difference intellectually or concern wise? Like, are you, are you more broad focused um, than a normal, you know, normal
1: um, veterinarian working in practice would be? I, I think, uh, you know, I think when you're in private practice, you're specializing more these days. The days of mixed animal practitioners that are trying to be the jack of all trades, there's fewer of those out there. So you're, and that's the beauty you can hone in. You know, Mike is focused right in on the dairy industry and does a very good job as a dairy practitioner, uh, predominantly. I mean, he does, I think he sees others, but for me, I, it's been broader. And I think for Uh, You know, one of the things that we all have in common, no matter where you are in veterinary medicine, is is there's always people to manage, and it's just we sometimes think we're going to veterinary medicine because we don't want to talk to people. Well, we rely. It's a common
0: misconception, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so so much about the people.
1: It is. It is. So, um, uh, so I, I mean, so I think. For me, in some ways, it's broader, but there are things in my career where I've had to be specific. I mean, because some people will be like, "We don't know the r- rules and regulations around this in animal health, but you do, James." And so, yes, I specialized in that. But still, I'm look. I've pretty much most of my career, I've looked across all sp- all s- species, great or small. You know, all creatures, great and small, uh, as James Harriet did. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's been different. I do think sometimes in my career, it gets uh, definitely in my career to the typical practitioner. There's been a lot more politics at play mm-hmm. and I never thought I would have gotten into that. Um, but I've, for the most part, enjoy that. Um, it's interesting. Uh, so, so. The I, conflict.
0: That, do you like the conflict?
1: Well, I like, I, I mean, I don't like conflict per se, but it, this, there always is going to be conflict and mm-hmm. I've, I've, managed to make a career out of trying to find a a, an answer that works for everybody and I guess maybe that's what made me uh, successful so far to date is you know I've had one boss previously tell me tell others that if you need to send someone into a fire and come out alive you take Dr. Averill with you because he'll find (laughs) a way out. So I'd
0: agree with that because you have kind of a calming presence you're not you're not the type that likes to stir up trouble. Um, so I could, I could see you being a pretty good diplomat so. when it comes to those kind of things. Well,
1: thank yeah. you. <laughs> seems, I've had to do it a lot. <laughs> what is that, right,
0: right. Right. Well, I always say I enjoy conflict, but, and I do, I do like conflict, but I like it from the standpoint of the puzzle of trying to fix it. You know, I like to take people that are disagreeing and, and get them to an understanding. That's what I like about conflict. And so that's why I've enjoyed being an owner and having to deal with client problems and things like that and employee problems. To me, that's a big part of the fun of being a veterinarian. So Mike, you own your own practice and how did that evolve? Like you went into large animal medicine right from school, right? That was your focus. And then how did the whole ownership evolve and what you're doing now?
2: Well, in my position, I I stayed there for six years. It was a great place to learn the trade and and, uh, it it was a good place to work. Um, When it came time to consider buying in there, there were some reasons I didn't choose to do that. So we started looking back at home and happened to find practice a half an hour from my hometown that was available and um, it actually came together remarkably easy. Um, You know, back then, I still did everything. Uh, It came a point, and I always liked seeing pets. I did, and I liked the community interaction, seeing pet owners. Um, I had to have the small animal practice seen by relief veterinarians much of the time. It was kind of hard to stay in touch with it, and also some of the people I had coming in were very good, and they were talking about stuff that I hadn't heard of. And it kind of dawned on me, I had not had any small animal continuing education in like 14 years at the time. So then you start wondering, should I be doing this? So at that you know, small animal was 30% of the practice decided to go with what was the bulk of it and and really, really my niche. Um, So I've never looked back on any of that with regret.
0: And what kind of advice would you give to somebody that is doing either mixed practice or or small animal if they were were interested in doing large animal? Like what are the skill sets that they need and um, what do they need to do to pursue that kind of career if if they decide that that's what they want to do, whether they're in vet school or um, early out of school um, and they have that ambition?
2: Well, I would say for a person interested in large animal or dairy or, or some sort of agriculture focused practice, uh, industry knowledge has always been important, but I think it's more important now. Farms are bigger now, farms are more sophisticated. Um, a lot of the very routine, almost mundane things that were done by the veterinarian at the time I graduated are not anymore. And so you need to bring a understanding the table that you've got something that the larger farm owners need, and and they are looking for help. But um, if you don't understand their business, I don't know how you're going to help them. Um, The other thing, and I I got this through MBMA, I never really had any soft skill training. I think it's critically important. Um, A lot of what I do on, on the bigger farms that I go to is watch how employees interact with each other and watch how the care we've set up gets delivered to the animal and, and, and the hangups are almost always on the people end of things. Mm. We didn't really learn that in veterinary school. mm -mm, Um, I didn't even know that it was a, uh, an area of study. You Uh, thought they would just do what you told them to do,
1: huh?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, the days of a farmer calling with a cow that wasn't milking and he had no idea what was wrong with her. That's, 25 years ago. They diagnosed um, their own now. Nobody could afford it. Well, they do or they need to be instructed at how to go about it. You know, when I bought the practice in Carson City, at the time I figured you needed 3,000 cows per veterinarian at the time, 3,000 cows milking per veterinarian to make a go of it. Well, my biggest client now milks about 14,000 cows. Wow. And I'm the only veterinarian. It's so you just, can't put your hands on different. all of those. Mm-mm. You can't, but in, and actually in that farm, a number of members of their organization are veterinarians, uh, that have come on special visas, particularly from Mexico. And, you know, other veterinarians think they're going to be there to replace me. They're not, our skill sets are different. And I, I, I keep an eye on what they're doing. I offer suggestions. I'm a kind of a coach that's there for a full day, one day a week. Um, and we all work very, really well together. Um, but it's the soft skill training that I really only started getting 10, 15 years ago that it, that has helped as much as anything.
0: Yeah, soft skills by Real that details, you mean managing details. people and relationships.
2: Yes. I mean, understanding conflict, understanding misunderstandings, uh, improving my own communication habits. Um, learning how to be an empathetic listener. And I think a lot of us are by nature, but it's not innate. Uh, There are tools out there that help us be better at it.
0: And where do you think you picked up some of that? You said the MDMA was a good way if if you had to tell somebody where to start, if they feel like they're lacking in soft skills.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's where almost all of it came to me from. Um, But Later on with my own office staff, like some years ago, and I don't know if it's still there anymore, but six to eight years ago, the state of Michigan uh, through Michigan Works, what used to be called the unemployment agency, they had actually had about 12 or 15 soft skill training modules available online for free. So uh, at our weekly staff meetings for a while, they weren't very long, 20 minutes. We did them
1: yeah. and
2: everybody gained something. And even though I've been through more structured stuff than them, you if you're listening, you'll, you'll learn stuff.
0: So offering those training courses to your team would be a good, good thing to suggest, I think, for a practice. I mean, that's an excellent idea. There's so much online training that we can do now, and if you do it as a team, you're gonna be more likely to get buy-in, I would imagine, from your staff. What about you, James? Um, because you, I'm assuming, have to manage people in your new um, role as the interim director. Um, how do you feel about the whole soft skills and attaining those and how, how important they are?
1: Well, they're, they're immensely important. And, and I think when we go through vet school, we don't, we're, we're so focused on, the, the curriculums have traditionally been so focused on the science, which is critically important. Um, and to some extent, you know, the application process is looking to see if you have some of those soft skills. And, And now curriculums are more and more looking at trying to help develop those soft skills, which I think is good. But I think at the same time, some people are just more innate at those soft skills than others. Um, And that is just, I think you would see that in any profession, but they've been huge, you know. And so any continuing education on it uh, is, or training is invaluable. It's just something you can constantly work on. Uh, We've done that. I've done that for myself throughout my career and for my own staff too, because, um, you know, you might not always be able to offer them all the money in the world, you know, in government, because we have restricted funds and so forth. And, and as a private practitioner. And so if you're able to, if you take an interest in your employees development, I, I think it really helps with your retention of, of your good employees and they might not go uh, looking to see if the grass is greener on the other side of the, of the fence. And so investing in that, in, in their uh, professional development has, you know, has been important and is something I will always continue to strive and, yeah. push and encourage.
0: So just kind of springboard off of that, since we're talking about taking care of our, people and and learning to relate and and, um, these soft skills. Let's springboard off of that into how this past year has been because there's been so many changes in practice in the small animal world. Um, It's changed completely the way we do our practicing. We're keeping the clients out, letting the animals in and trying to practice a lot with the phone and it makes communication um, rough. How has it been in the um, university setting with the people that you work with and how has it changed the way um, that you're working and what's been going on with COVID um, as far as your people go emotionally
1: and um, physically and all of that? So I I think it's been a, it's, you've, you've seen the all of it, you know, and and, it, and it, you've seen all aspects of it this year. And I, I think probably one of the biggest things that I've seen and, and especially most impressed about with the Veterinary Diagnostic Lab is the fact that I think they have that group of staff in each of the laboratory sections and as in a laboratory overall have really stepped up and done an amazing job. And they are now a stronger team having gone through this because. They all, all of us have been battling it in one way or the other from work to home and, and how do you manage home life with kids going to school and no daycare to trying to work remotely, but really most of our staff couldn't work remotely because we don't have PCR machines set up in their homes for all of them or uh, culture plates in an incubator. <laughs>
0: so they have you to know. come into work.
1: Yeah, so they, so have as- the they
0: were essential, right? Right from yeah. the get-go?
1: Yeah, so they've been essential right from the get-go. Um, you know, for us, and I think just like the private practices out there, you know, we were having a good Lisa. year. And then when the pandemic hit, um, it dropped. Uh, the caseload and sales dropped dramatically from, you know, where they were. And so that month of April into May, early May was pretty tough on the, on the veterinary diagnostic lab. But since then, since June 1st, our sales in business is up 11%. And as of last week, we were only a quarter of a percent behind where we were in 2019 at the same time with such a a downturn. And so um, it's, I think that's, you know, in part just to people being at home, they're wanting to get pets now because they're home and they can help, Uh, house train them and they're watching their pets more closely. So the veterinary profession is benefiting from this from some standpoint because case work caseloads have increased uh, from a business standpoint, but then at the same time, now you, with all that work, how do you manage your staff and the workload and not burn everybody out? And that's been a continuous struggle. And so for that, it's just, um, you know, you find little ways to reward and thank the staff for what they're doing, you know. And so, some of the things I do is we, we've, we've tried to have some fun days at work with Halloween costume contests to uh, holiday door decorating that's going on right now to just making sure you're being seen and around as a leader and saying hi and see how they're doing and checking in on them and, and see how they're feeling you know, and keeping their morale up. And then you do—you just do little thank yous here and there and celebrate small victories, you know. And so that, uh, and and you just have to, in a time like this, you cannot over communicate as a leader, I think, in some ways, just keep everybody informed. And so as a lab, we have not shut down uh, at all. Uh, Our workload did drop off, but we've stayed open, and, and it's in part... Uh, due to the the teamwork of all the veterinary diagnostic lab staff we have 135 people there knock on wood to date we've only had one come up positive and with the PPE precautions we put in place the stress and the importance of social distancing and and, pre- and cognizant of your behaviors outside of work will impact you know the, the colleagues you work with and so uh, we've done fairly well i think uh, from a business standpoint of minimizing the impact, but um, it's not normal conditions in which everybody's working under.
0: Yeah, and it has gotten busier. I mean, I know our practice at the beginning slowed way down because of the restrictions, but it's gone insane. The veterinary industry in general, you know, even to the point where we're short of veterinarians, I think a lot of practices are struggling to get help, veterinarians and veterinary technicians. So that just adds another layer of stress to not only the pandemic, but also to owning a practice and running a practice and that kind of thing. What about you, Mike? What's your practice been like since the beginning of COVID? Has anything changed? What's been going on with your people?
2: I think my area of practice maybe was less affected than what either of you have seen. Um, You know, within my office, I've, I've got a receptionist and a bookkeeper, period. We do very little dispensing out of the office. Um, not that many people come in, so it was relatively easy to uh, lock the door, put a sign on it, have a have a box outside for things we were dispensing, handle questions through the window. That part was was pretty easy. We you know we have some customers that didn't like it, but well, too bad. Um, <laughs> out on the farms. Um, the the bigger farms more naturally took to the idea of how we had to be careful, I think, than a lot of the smaller farms. Uh, but we did, and you know, it's a pain. I do my reproductive exams via ultrasound, uh, and I view the images through goggles, and I'm wearing a mask and I wear glasses, and yeah, so it's it's a pain. But we've gotten used to it. Um, you know, a couple other things I'll say. Um, being a veterinarian out. Um, okay large animal veterinarian i i work with surprisingly few people i mean there's probably like 40 people i see a lot and so you're one of the first people they ask you know what's your opinion of the covid lockdown that yeah, sort of thing they're this respecting is really us. a big deal you you yeah,
0: to, yeah yes, medical. you're one of
2: the first people they yeah. talk to uh, another big part of it is one of the things i try to do on farms to set a good example for animal handling and animal care and you can extend that example to how you behave with the threat of uh, a serious communicable disease. And uh, so it, I, it felt like it was our responsibility to do the right thing while people are watching because they're watching.
0: Right, right. Has it changed the dairy industry as far as demand? Like, did does milk demand go higher or... It seems like people were hoarding groceries and that was an issue did that affect you at all
2: it didn't quite we heard stuff about it yeah there was some disruption at the start i always took some comfort in the, you know i'm in northern michigan today we're having a big snowstorm working in an industry that when a storm is coming what do people do they go out and buy milk and i was like that uh there was a a, so much of the U.S. dairy production goes into the restaurant industry, Mm. which got seriously affected by it. on the news here in milk that couldn't be, you know, there's a lot of momentum to how stuff's handled. You can't just, well, okay, we'll put all this milk in 200,000 plastic jugs. Where are the jugs? Well, we don't have any. You know, so there was disruption that way. There were people would contact me about news reports they saw about milk getting dumped, Maybe not even when the, within the state did it happen. Also, in the news, there were some local FFA, Future Farmers of America chapters, area high schools that figured out a way to bottle some of that milk and get it to food banks. And so there was some cool stuff that happened. I would say it's totally settled down now uh, with regards to the, how the supply chain works.
0: Yeah, uh, people yeah, are just going to use
2: it yeah and 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 there was a price drop on top of already low prices, but that that's kind of corrected again now.
0: Okay, so not a lot of changes. and the people that the few people that you worked with, you think handled it pretty well, mostly because you gave them the right example to follow.
2: Oh, I would say some of them handled, handled it well. I think they probably still think that this might be oh I, I'm, hoax is too strong a word. But I, I think most of them it well. Um, you know, the area I'm in, there are a lot of people that will not wear masks. And um, it's just kind of the area I'm in. But I wear mine.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, you can't reach everybody. You can't reach everybody. But I would say within my clientele, the understanding was there. Um, how? Um, how should I say it? How um, evenly and effectively control measures were put into place? Eh, it varied. Some people were all over it, and and other people probably got. It.
0: Yeah, and that's. I think that's how it's been everywhere. You know, everybody has their differing opinions, and a lot of it was driven by you know all the politics that got involved for you know good or bad, whatever whatever your opinion is on that, but. Um, you know, we've had that similar thing where clients will push back on our restrictions, you know, they want to come in the building. Why aren't you guys letting us in the building? And, um, you know, and we're just, we're just not ready yet. So we're just not, um, but you know, everybody has their own differing opinions on that. And as a leader in a practice, that's something that's an issue as well. And I'm sure you both are, are seeing that with your employees, that everybody has a little different take and a little different idea of how things should be done. And, um, as a, as a leader, you have to kind of try to resolve those differences of opinion and, and make a decision based on, you know, what you think is best for your, for your employees and the organization. And I imagine at the university, that's been a, a, a little bit of a trick too, right,
1: James? Oh, it is. I mean, you know, in a, but it's not—it's not a whole lot different than a, I, I would think than a, in a veterinary practice because you'll have—you have your receptions. We have a call center. You know, they are individuals typically with a high school education, and then you'll have your veterinary nurses uh, or other medical technicians, and then you have the doctors, the veterinarians, the pathologists. Uh, you know, type people that are highly scientifically trained. And so you have this um, wide array of knowledge and depth of of science and and understanding of disease transmission and processes. And so how you talk to the faculty is gonna be totally different than how you talk to the receptionist. And you gotta be able to, as a leader, you go into the details and the science of it with the scientists, but then keep it at, you know, the eighth grade level uh, for, you know, your, your receptionist, or in our instance, to our receiving unit where they're opening up the hundreds of boxes uh, that we receive on a daily basis. So. Well, and no, offence, be,
0: no offense to them. They just don't have that education, right? Right. No. And but it is no offense um, like we do. Uh, a right. lot of the veterinarians understand how viruses work and a lot of lay people don't.
1: Right. And I think really as a, you're a good teacher you're able to be able to bounce if or if you're a good educator you can hit the different and just knowing your audience how you uh, gear up for them and you can teach them and still be kind of saying the same message it's just how you deliver it so um, so from that standpoint we've been pretty successful um, in getting everybody to buy in and, and, and practice social distancing hand hygiene uh, mask wearing and now we've added on face shields or goggles too just as an extra precaution as as things the cases ticked up here this fall we put such restrictions and additional protections in place just to try to make sure our staff stays safe and we don't have to drop turn or shut down a service for two weeks while someone's quarantined.
0: Yeah did you have any um testing there at the university like did they go through testing protocols too for the
1: employees well one of the the new arenas for the very diagnostic lab this year is is that we are doing the testing for humans uh, for the msu for the entire university so any students staff faculty uh, that are not feeling well there's a a daily questionnaire we all have to answer if we're coming onto campus and if you depending on how you answer that that might you right over to the nurse and triage nurse and then they'll say whether you need to go to uh, spartan stadium where they're doing the nasopharyngeal swabs and and uh and all those swabs are now coming to the veterinary diagnostic lab so we've done about eight thousand tests uh at this point in time or it's close to that and uh, we'll get samples twice a day from the university and we're reporting them out within anywhere from four to 24 hours Um, and so people are we're having a really good turnaround time. And so we're helping out the MSU community because diagnostics are diagnostics. It doesn't matter if it's animals or humans, we can all do that. Now, we had to go through and get some certification and everything from a human side, but uh, um, we've been doing that. There's also been another surveillance program uh, that staff are asked to volunteer in that's uh, trying to develop a a, a spit test and, and that's now going to get used by the university for all students. And it's going to be mandatory here for the spring semester. So um, faculty and staff are all encouraged to participate in that too. So, you so got, that's
0: all developed and ready to go. Yep, yep. Well, that's pretty cool. So, so the veterinary community is, is uh, contributing to the human medicine community, which is really, I think something we forget is how much we contribute to what goes on with humans, especially like Mike's job, he's got to make sure that the cows are healthy so the milk is safe and you're doing testing. So it's It's
1: totally a one health approach, you know, Mm -hmm. it's human veterinary medicine in in the environment, you know, kind of concept all together, and trying to work together towards a common goal. And and that is to let's get out of this pandemic.
0: Yeah, for sure. We definitely all want out of it. I think we're all ready.
1: Right, yes. (laughs)
0: We're all ready to be done with this year. Yes. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm doing these podcasts this month is I want to make sure that we talk to a wide range of veterinarians to see what our experience has been and then how we're going to move forward. So let's let's kind of segue into that. What kind of recommendations do you have for not only your veterinary teams, but people that are listening to the podcast for how we Continue to stay mentally healthy through all this, and then move forward into the next year. How do we how do we do this in a uh, not only a better way, but um, a healthy way? Do you have any recommendations?
1: Well, I think uh, in an academic institution like Michigan State University, there's 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 a lot of resources out there for our 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 employees or our faculty, the faculty and the staff. You know, we have an employee assistance program. Uh, where people can go and talk to a, a psychologist, therapist of some sort to, you know, or whatever grieving process they're going through, whether it's the pandemic or other things personal in their life. And this pandemic has heightened that awareness around there and trying to make sure everybody has is now stepping up and trying to help one another. So you got your colleagues looking out for you. Uh, and then there's resources out there if you need help. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing, and, and I shared that with my weekly note to my staff this week is, you know, um, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter now with the approval of a vaccine, uh, you know, and the veterinary professions in general is going to be higher up in, in the vaccination program and uh, getting those in general. Uh, and so with that that's another tool that will be in our toolkit to help protect us and help us get out of this pandemic but that being said in in this time of year is always hectic without a uh, without a pandemic with the holidays and gifts and meeting up with families and that we're not doing this year and so that adds stress that really adds preaching to share to the staff just take 10 minutes a day just for yourself whether it's reading the newspaper, uh, having a cup of coffee in silence to taking a hot bath, whatever it is, is that gives you that little bit of peace and quiet, you know, and it's kind of take a deep breath and, and just relax for a few minutes and, uh, and just be appreciative and thankful for all that you have because you, you could be someone that has got COVID or has a family member or knows of someone that's passed away. And their life's a whole lot harder than maybe what yours is at this point in time. And so that's, you know, I, I I try to tell staff, just take a deep breath and find 10 minutes a day for yourself. And and that I think that's good for any time we're stressful. I, I mean, I need to remind myself of that too. And sometimes it gets a little crazy and just getting up and walking away from the computer or the phone or leaving a meeting that's over and just walking the halls or getting outside and walking for 10 minutes is recharges the battery, refreshes you and just relieves that, that stress and tension.
0: Yeah. And I would add to that is really accept and feel your feelings. Yes. Because as people, we always try to make things happy. Like we think it should always be happy. Everything should be great. Everybody should feel good. And that's not the way humanity works. Like we have a lot of negative emotion And to just be okay with that and feeling it if you're having a stressful day or you're having a sad day or you're feeling ripped off by the pandemic or whatever it is, just being okay with processing those feelings and not trying to get rid of them um, because they're valid emotions that we should be feeling and that we need to be able to feel and not be afraid of feeling in order to process them and get through to the other side. What about you, Mike? What would you give as far as advice moving forward or, or for today, even.
2: I've always tried to work day with a a level of cheerfulness and that doesn't mean I don't have the same worries everybody else does. I've always tried to be really approachable um, and kind of uh, feeding off what both of you just said, some of the negative interactions I've had over the years were I felt the other person was really out of line. Then I, and I took an attitude about it. Then I found out later on that they had some burden that I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Then I didn't feel so good about it. So I, nice. you know, I try to be approachable. I, I try to be happy, not fake happy, but look on the bright side because then people will talk to you. You know, I said before our office is pretty small. Well, one of the things the, the three of us have enjoyed over the years, and, and we used to be a little bit bigger was um, taking turns bringing meals into the office. They're all kind of joining in on group meal or You're cutting out a little bit, Mike. A little bit.
0: Can you say that again? You're, oh, I, out I, a little I I bit. Try to, Sorry.
2: Well, one of the things we've tried to do in our office over the years is, is take turns bringing meals in or joining in on a theme meal, taco bar, or whatever. And um, we've tried to keep doing that. And I, I like to cook. So I've been bringing lunch in more often, Um, sit around and talk.
0: That's a good time to share your feelings too. You know, if everybody's sitting around eating together as a group, it helps.
2: So I I would say it's been that um, and just, uh, oh, I don't know, trying to be an empathetic listener. And I I think we can do that everywhere right now and, and people need it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, is there um, anything that we should have talked about that we didn't that you can think of that you want to share? Because I'm not messing this podcast up. This one's going. <laughs> <laughs> this one's for real.
2: <laughs> I, or, I think your framework for discussion has been very thorough, Julie.
1: Good, good. What about you, James? You got something? Well, I, I think, you know, just the only other thing is for all the veterinarians out there that are listening here in Michigan or whatever other state you're from, don't forget about your state organization. I mean, and the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association has many resources out there for all practitioners, all veterinarians, whether you're in private practice or not. Um, and so there's there's help there. And and there's, there's just help everywhere, you know, when you start thinking about it, and um, you know whether it's your local extension office I mean they're really stepping up and have people now trained around stress management and so there, there's that resources to you know many others it's just amazing there are so many people out there and it's just you got to take time you, you got to build up the courage and it's okay to ask for help there's nothing wrong with it I've done it several times over my career and I think we as veterans, we're, we're humble and want to hold in so much of our emotions and what we're dealing with and that we just need to open up. And you made the comment, own those emotions and recognize them and that they're, it's okay and it's okay to ask for help. So whether it's your significant other or your best friend or some, a professional, you know, um, all of them are there and they want to help you because everybody wants to see good from each person and, and all the potential they have to offer to this world.
0: Well, and Mike can probably speak to this too, is the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association for us in Michigan and the state of Michigan has been a great resource. And um, we know from serving on the board that it's a great place to meet other people that have similar interests and also can help, um, help us process the things that we need to process.
2: Yes, MBMA actually developed a, a kind of a wellness toolbox um, while you were on the executive committee, Julie, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is available on my website. And um, call the MVMA office and ask what direction to get pointed. And I think our, our, our staff in, in the office, even though they've been working remotely, stepped up. It's um, yeah, been a great resource for MDMA members, both in trying to figure out how people can get help with trouble they're having, but also trying to help understand how we respond responded to the restraint. Yeah. Um, you know, MDMA has a private web uh, Facebook group, member veterinarians. a lot of really good discussions and questions being asked or questions. Being asked.
0: It's a great place to get help if you need it with anything. And just talk to somebody that's in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I like to encourage people to um, join either their local association or their state association, because that has been a great place for me to meet people and learn about different things in the profession. All right. Well, I really appreciate you both being here. I've had a really interesting time listening to you. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap it up?
2: I don't think so. I appreciate the opportunity to participate.
0: Yeah, it's been really interesting. If anybody has any questions for either one of you, are you willing to share your email address so they can reach out to you if they have any questions about either a career like James has had all through the different types of organized um, state medicine and and, uh, university. And then for you, Mike, um, the large animal practice and practice ownership, are you guys okay with answering questions if anyone wants to email? I am. Okay.
2: Absolutely. I can, I'm I can... happy to talk to What's that? I said I'm always happy to talk to colleagues.
0: I figure you would. So all right. Well, I'll share your email addresses in the notes um, when I put out the podcast. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you, they can, or they can get a hold of me and I can in turn pass their questions on to you. So I would encourage anybody out there that Um, was interested in what either one of these wonderful gentlemen had to say to reach out if you have any more questions that I didn't ask and we didn't answer on the podcast. So I really appreciate you both being here today and doing it again. I think it was probably better this time. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) I hope you, uh, I didn't waste your time the first time, but I appreciate you you re-recording and uh, getting it right this time. (laughs) everybody has to fail at something right once in a while right it's part of the process
1: learn from our mistakes
0: that's right oh
1: yeah
2: they're working for now
0: yeah we've all made a few right all right well thank you so much for being on the podcast i really appreciate it and uh thanks for being here bye 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 mike that was so much fun i love having people on the podcast And James and Mike are just such unique individuals. I just love them both. I hope you learned something from them and got a lot out of this podcast. If you like what you're hearing on the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast, Please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you would like individual coaching, go to my website, juliecappell.com or veterinarylifecoach.com. Both things will get you there. I'd love to coach you one-on-one. And I'm also offering my six-week classes starting in January. So find those on my website. I appreciate your listening. I appreciate you joining me. If there's anything you want me to talk about on the podcast in 2021, drop me a line in my email or wherever you listen to podcasts and let me know. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I will talk to you again next week. Have a beautiful week. Bye.